God's word aloud, uh, beginning in verse 5 of Galatians 3. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for the church and for this community of people that you've brought together and allowed us to gather here today um, and to continue gathering together. Um, I pray for Jeff today as he preaches. I pray um, that he will be filled with the Spirit and to speak the truth to us. And I pray that our hearts will be receptive to you um, in your word. And um, I pray that we, you will grow in us a desire for you um, and a desire to share you um, with those around us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I'm get my binder clip situated here. Well, it's good to be uh, together with you on this last Sunday uh, of our outdoor gatherings. Um, I am looking forward to uh, just moving into a new phase and to be able to be back together uh, inside. I look forward to uh, all that God has in store for us in the coming season. Um, Uh, I think probably most of you have a favorite uh, late night talk show host, you know, whether it's um, Colbert or Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon, you know, probably each of you have uh, your favorite. Um, before Jimmy Fallon was the host of the Tonight Show, if you know, you go back a generation, you know, Jay Leno was there, uh, you know, holding the reins. Before Jay Leno was the host of the Tonight Show, a guy named Johnny Carson, right? If you're old enough, you might remember seeing Johnny Carson on TV. Something that probably, I would say, most of you don't know about me is that John Carson is my grandpa. Really. John Carson really is my grandpa. You know, not Johnny Carson from The Tonight Show, but John Wesley Carson from Monroe City, Missouri. You know, the farmer and MoDOT worker uh, from Monroe City, Missouri. Uh, you know, I share the last name with Johnny Carson, but as far as I know, uh, there's no, like, real close family relation. Um, but wouldn't it be cool, though, to have someone that's really famous uh, in your family? Uh, in the last decade, you know, more and more Ancestry websites have popped up, and they allow you to search out your family tree. And, and I think in all of us, there's at least this desire to know, like, where we came from, you know, like our origin story. Um, to find out if, you know, somehow we're related to someone that's, you know, some important historical figure, whether in recent or ancient past. And in our passage this morning, Paul begins to address for the Galatians their own origin story. And it revolves around this question. Who are the true children of Abraham? Who are the true children of Abraham? 
It's a theme that he's going to continue to unpack through the rest of chapters 3 and 4 of Galatians. And what we'll see in, in, our, in the passage this morning is that even our own spiritual origin story is wrapped up in the Galatians spiritual origin story. And, and so here's the main point of the sermon today, that only faith in Christ unites believers for all time from all peoples. Only faith in Christ unites believers for all time and from all peoples. You know, Paul has spent these first two chapters of Galatians laying out the case for his apostleship that, and the validity of the gospel that he preached. You know, it, he's saying, it, like, the gospel that I preached, it didn't come from men. I didn't receive it from, you know, the, the apostles in Jerusalem. I received it from God. And this is the gospel that only Jesus saves. Listen to how he sums that up in Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so we get to chapter 3 of Galatians, and Paul turns to address the Galatian church, and he says, You should know from your own experience that these Judaizers, right, these false teachers who are trying to get you to believe that you have to be, you know, circumcised uh, to follow the law to be truly saved, you should know from your own experience that they're trying to lead you astray. You know you weren't saved by works of the law. It was a work of the Spirit to show you what Jesus had accomplished on your behalf on the cross. Like, don't be fooled, Galatians. You weren't made right with God by your works, but by faith in His completed work. You should know it, Paul says, by your own experience. And then he pivots in our passage in chapter 6 to say, even more than your own experience, though, you should know it from the Scriptures. And so the way I want to frame up the rest of uh, the sermon this morning is by asking and answering two questions. And I think these are two questions that can be really helpful to you, even as you, just on your own, spend time with the Lord and His Word. And these are the questions. What do we learn in this passage about the gospel? And two, what would it mean for our lives if we really believed these truths? So first, what do we learn about the gospel? The first thing I want to draw our attention to is that the gospel of faith was always God's plan A. The gospel of faith faith was always God's plan A, not God's plan B. You know, faith is a word that we throw around a lot. Um, It's a word that we just just kind of use without um, thinking about, like, what it really means. So some of you may be wondering, okay, like, the gospel of faith, what what does faith mean? What does the Bible mean when it, you know, says faith? Uh, Well, faith means belief or conviction. You know, belief or conviction of the truth of some person or idea. And specifically, when the Bible speaks of faith, it's usually in the context of believing God. You know, not just a mental assent to a list of true things about God, but trusting Him with your whole person. Trusting in God instead of yourself or someone else. So look again at, at Galatians 3, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, or had faith in God, believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. You know, those first two words, just as, serve to link verse 6 to the previous verses. The Galatians had been made right with God by believing, by their faith in God, just like, Paul says, Abraham believed God and was counted as righteous. He was justified, a right standing before God. You know, being justified, being made right with God by faith and not by works, it was always God's plan. 
Abraham was highly regarded by the Jews for his faithful obedience. In fact, uh, Jewish traditions seem to highlight Abraham's obedience over his faith in God. They pointed to, to these two really important acts of obedience in Abraham's life. First, his circumcision as a sign of the new covenant. And second, the sacrifice of his son Isaac. And, and so these Judaizers were, were coming in to try to convince the Galatians that to be included in the covenant people of God, they had to obey, you know, just like their father Abraham. To be, you know, to be circumcised, to follow the law like Abraham did. Basically, you know, do this work. Observe these rules, and you're in. Like, you're, you're one of us. You're part of us. So to counter this argument, Paul points to Abraham, the man of faith, rather than Abraham, the man of obedience. The, I mean, the Jews were right to applaud Abraham for his obedience. But they were wrong to think that his obedience was why he was declared right with God. Paul goes back to Genesis 15, 6. That's what he quotes here to show that Abraham was declared righteous before he even knew about circumcision. He believed before he obeyed. He believed so he obeyed. You remember what was going on in Genesis 15? God comes to Abraham in a vision, and he says, Fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham wonders, like, how can that be, God? I mean, you've given me no children. I mean, right now, if I had to, like, pick an heir, it would have to be my servant, right? Eliezer. But God says to him, no, your very own son shall be your heir. And then he takes Abraham outside, and it's nighttime apparently, and he says, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can, so shall your descendants be, as many as the stars in the sky. And even though both Abraham and his wife were advanced in years and childless to this point, Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. You see, the gospel of faith was always God's plan A. God was certainly grieved by the people's sin. He was grieved by Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. But he wasn't thrown off by it. You know, it wasn't like, they didn't perfectly obey me. I didn't see that coming at all. I guess I'll have to come up with some other way for my people to relate to me in right relationship. You know, like, on to plan B. Like, plan A didn't work. Plan B. No, from the beginning, the people of God were to believe God, to trust Him. A right relationship with God wasn't to be earned by the people's perfect obedience. It was to be received by faith. And so we see in Abraham that the gospel of faith was always God's plan A. And the second thing that we learn about the gospel in our passage is that the gospel of faith it shows the unity between the Old and New Testaments. You know, you've probably heard it said before by someone uh, that you're close to, or, or if you're honest, you've probably thought this before. Um, you know, the God of the Old Testament seems so different from the God of the New Testament. I mean, what's up with that? You know, in the Old Testament, God seems angry and just eager to punish even the, the slightest misstep. But when you get to the New Testament and Jesus comes onto the scene, God seems like just a God of love and grace. I think I like the New Testament God better. Or maybe you're reading through the Old Testament, and especially in uh, Exodus and Leviticus, and it seems that the way that people relate to God is only through these elaborate and really specific rules. But you get to the New Testament, and it seems that the way that people relate to God is through grace. So what's going on? Is God 
only a God of wrath or love? Is he a God of rules and law or, or grace through faith? Look with me again at Galatians 3, verses 7 and 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And in verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham's ultimate problem was the same as the Galatians' ultimate problem, which is even the same as ours today. And it's this. The world was broken and cursed by sin. Every square inch of creation suffers under the weight of that curse. But sin doesn't only plague the world out there, it plagues all of us within. We're all sinful and separated from a perfect God. But the solution to that problem was also the same for Abraham and for the Galatians, and even for us today, that a gracious God who loves the world and the people he created enough to intervene on their behalf, a just and compassionate God who promises to rescue and bless his people, not on the basis of their good works, but on the basis of their faith in him and what he accomplished. You see, faith is the boundary marker for those who are in and those who are not, or those who are not in, who are not included in God's people. And this is the way that God always intended it to be. Paul is telling the Galatians, like, you are children of Abraham, even you and I today are children of Abraham, not by birthline or blood, but by a common faith. The gospel of faith shows us the unity of Scripture. You know, Abraham and the saints in the Old Testament, they looked forward to the promise of God that would be fulfilled in Christ. Paul and the Galatians and even us today, we look backward to the promise of God that was fulfilled in Christ. I mean, listen to the writer of Hebrews, how he describes this in, in Hebrews eleven thirteen. Speaking of the, the saints in the Old Testament, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They may not have known exactly how God was going to do it. They may not have been able to picture Jesus crucified, hanging on a cross, that's a luxury that we have on this side of history. But they had the same kind of faith that we have today. The same kind of faith and trust in God that saves us. So the gospel of faith was always God's plan A. The gospel of faith that shows the unity of the Old and New Testaments. And the third thing, the last thing I want to point out about this is that the gospel of faith is global in scope. The gospel of faith is global in scope. Look Again at verse 8 of Galatians chapter 3. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. This is the gospel preached beforehand to Abraham. And it comes from Genesis 12, verse 3, that in Abraham all the nations would be blessed. What did Paul mean by quoting that, you know, blessed there? I mean, certainly the world has been enriched by the Jewish people over uh, the generations, you know, especially spiritually as they providing the first scriptures. But the blessing that Paul refers to here is the good news of salvation being extended to all the nations, all tribes and tongues, so that they could be declared righteous before God on the basis of faith, 
just like Abraham. The blessing in Abraham is nothing less than justification by faith and the gift of the Holy Spirit that Paul wrote about in the first five verses of Galatians 3. I mean, from the beginning, God was planning to save a diverse people for himself from all nations. The lavish love of God, it couldn't be contained and kept to only one kind of person. Not just one family line, not just one race, not just one skin color, not just one language. Not just those in close proximity to Jerusalem. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well, which is most of us, right? Not many of us here, if, if any at all, have Jewish ancestry. And so if it weren't for the global scope of the gospel, like there would be no hope for us. Some of my favorite passages in Scripture are these scenes in Revelation of saints around the throne and Revelation 5-9 has been um, just really precious to me over the years and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll speaking of the lamb worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation." Amen. The gospel is global in scope. So, as we look at our passage and we see what is, these are the things that our passage teaches us about the gospel. We're going to transition to our second question. What would it mean for our lives if we really believed these truths? What would it mean for our lives if we really believed these truths? Well, first, I think for some here, it would mean salvation. I trust that there are some here on the parking lot this morning who haven't yet put their faith in Christ. And I want, I, I just want you to like kind of imagine in your mind dividing all the people who have ever lived on the earth into two lines, okay? And scientists kind of estimate that maybe roughly around 100 billion people have ever walked the planet, right? So the first line would be for everyone who has always perfectly obeyed God. And the second line would be for everyone who hasn't always perfectly obeyed God. And what you would find out is that this first line is really short. Like, that's the line you would want to go to if you were at Six Flags, right? Really short. Like, out of roughly 100 billion people, only one would be in the line of perfect obedience to God. Only one was able to do it. The rest of us would be in the other line. And hear the good news, friend, that God has made a way for people from every race and ethnicity and language to be made right with him, not on the basis of their works or their effort, but on the basis of their faith in his work, on the basis of their faith in the one who is standing in that first line. Jesus lived the perfect life that none of us could, and he died the death on the cross in our place. The death that we deserve for our rebellion against God. And he did it so that everyone who trusts in him can have their punishment for sin canceled. And all of his goodness now credited to them. And so friend, I urge you to turn from your sin. To trust and follow Jesus. Experience the, the freedom and joy of new and everlasting life in Christ. What else would it mean for our lives? 
Well, the second thing is that there would be no room for boasting. No room for boasting. Eric hit on this last week. You know, most of us here, like I mentioned, we don't have the right ancestry, and so we can't boast that, like, I'm from the tribe of Judah, or I'm from the tribe of, you know, Levi, or Benjamin, or any of the other tribe, 12 tribes of Israel. But, like, even more than that, none of us can boast of earning God's love and favor by our good works. So, like, what does that leave to boast in? Our faith? Can you boast that you have saving faith, but your neighbor down the street doesn't? Like somehow you were just smarter and you just like figured it out more, you know, intellectual prowess. You just kind of created that in yourself. No, like that faith, it was a gift. You weren't entitled to it. You didn't earn it. It was a gift of grace through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I mean, just think about it. How foolish would it be for Abraham to stand before God and say, to, and to boast like, God, look what I did. Look at all my descendants. I did this. I created all these people. How foolish is it for you and I to boast as well? I mean, if we truly grasped that the gospel that comes to us through faith was, it was always God's plan, it would produce a deep humility in us. Like John the Baptist says in John 3.27, person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from above, from heaven. There'd be no room for boasting. No room for credit taking before God or neighbor. There'd be no one less worthy of God's love than you. No one more worthy. No one beneath us. No one too low to love and serve. No one unworthy of our time. The gospel of faith, it levels the playing field. So be careful. Pay attention to the times that you feel better than someone else or some other group. There's no room for boasting in the gospel of faith. Third thing it would mean for our lives if we truly believe these promises, these truths, is that we would rest in the finished work of Christ. If we truly believe we were justified by faith, made right with God, by faith and not by works, then we would rest in the finished work of Christ. It wasn't our good works that saved us in the first place, and it's not our effort and our good works that keeps us saved. Like Paul said to the Galatians earlier in chapter 3, you know, let me ask you this. Like, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I think resting in the finished work of Christ, it looks like, or it sounds like, waking up tomorrow morning and saying to yourself, kind of like David in the Psalms, you know, soul, I don't have anything to prove today. I'm not going to do anything today that's going to make God love me any less. And I'm not going to do anything today that's going to make him love me any more. I am fully loved as his son or his daughter. I don't have to hustle to prove my worth. Let the finished work of Christ free you to live fully and generously, to, to live in, in a place of just like Sabbath rest. He's done the work. Rest in it. Four, if we really believed these truths, we would be people of gritty faith. We'd be people of gritty faith. I encourage you at some point in time to read through uh, all of Romans chapter 4, 
which is kind of a Paul's, you know, kind of expanding on what he's talking about here in Galatians chapter 3 in our verses. And read through Hebrews chapter chapter 11. But listen to these this excerpt from Romans 4. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and promise is void. And the promise is void. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted, were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. If we really believe these truths, we would possess not only a saving faith, but a living faith, a persevering hope in the face of trials and difficulties in life. The kind of faith that is fully convinced God is able to do what he promised. I love that. God, make us a people who live fully convinced that you are able to do what you've promised. This is a, it's a gritty faith that doesn't look at the world through rose-colored glasses or, or just try to sugarcoat everything that's hard or that hurts. But a gritty faith that leads you to say, God, I, I don't see how you're going to come through here yet, but I trust you. I don't quite see how you're going to provide, God, but I trust you. I don't quite see how this injustice is going to be made right, but I trust you. I don't see how, how this is working for my good and your glory, but I trust you. Saving faith that brings you into the family of God is the same faith God intends to sustain you. Every moment of your life until the day your faith, your trust becomes sight and you see him face to face. Five, um, it would produce lives of faithfulness to God. Now this is similar to the last point, but just stick with me. I mean, it can be tempting in all this talk about faith to think that what we do doesn't actually matter. But that's not true. I mean, certainly, you'll never be able to, to work your way or earn your way into God's favor and his family. It's only Jesus and only through faith. But that faith in God must work itself out as faithfulness to God in your everyday life. I mean, listen to Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall all your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, 
from which he, figuratively speaking, did receive him back. Abraham's faith in God led him to obey God even when it was hard, even when it didn't check all of the boxes of reason. Abraham's faithfulness was a result of his faith in God. It, it proved his faith in God. And so, brothers and sisters, your faithfulness, your obedience to God in the big and small things in life, it matters. Your faith in God can propel you into obeying God even when it's hard. And the final thing, sixth thing, what would it mean for our lives if we really believe these truths? We would love our neighbors from every tribe and tongue and nation and color. There's, gosh, there's so much that could be said about all these points, and, and especially this one in particular. Um, but, you know, it's, it's become common, a common viewpoint for the church in the, in the United States to adopt a view of redemption that somehow puts us, the American church, especially the church that looks like me, my color of skin, at the center of God's redemptive work in the world. But we're not, right? We are part of the Gentiles, those who were outside the family line. Let that grip you. Like, we were outsiders. We weren't the insiders. We were the ones who were far off that had to be brought near by the blood of Jesus. The gospel of faith is global in scope. So let that soften your heart toward whoever you view as the outsider. Whoever you view as the alien. This has bearing on how we love and relate to our neighbors here who, who don't look and sound like us. You sound different than us because we're the different ones too, right? We are the outsiders. But also propels us to take the good news of Jesus to places in the world where there's little to no access. You know, I read that uh, verse from Revelation 5-9 to take the gospel to people who Jesus has purchased from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He's already bought their salvation. They just need someone to go tell them. Paul's argued here in Galatians 3, 6-9 that this gospel of faith was always God's plan for being made right with him. So anytime someone or, or even yourself comes to tempt you to stray away from that glorious truth, like our father Abraham, fight for this to be true of you. Let us not weaken in faith. May no unbelief Make us waver concerning the promise of God, but let us grow strong in our faith, fully convinced that God is able to do all that he has promised. Only faith in Christ unites believers for all time and from all peoples. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you are a faithful God, a God who promises, who doesn't give up, God thank you for the unity of the scriptures.
scriptures. Thank you for the, the global scope of the good news of Jesus. God, we recognize that we were hopeless and helpless without him. We never would have been able to perfectly obey you. And so we thank you for Jesus. Father, more and more, help us to be people of faith who cling to you in faith and trust when it's hard, who cling to you in faith and trust when things seem to be going well. God, more and more, work that faith out in, through our lives in faithfulness in the big and small things. And so, Holy Spirit, lead us in the areas where we haven't been walking faithfully with you. Bring conviction. God, for those who may be here who haven't yet trusted in you, I pray by your spirit that you would open their eyes to see their need for you, that you would draw them to yourself in repentance and belief. We do. We thank you for Jesus and his perfect work. And we pray it all in his name.